morning, Psalm chapter 40, and reading from verse number 5. It's good to be here with you all this morning, and good to see so many of you here and online. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for worshiping and praising God. So for the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to be diving into the Word of God and then have an opportunity to respond with prayer at the front. We, we like to come up as a family and pray together. You're free to stay where you are and pray where you are, but we invite you to join us here at the front. There's something about stepping out of your seat. It's a little uncomfortable, yes, but uh, sometimes when you want something from God, you've got to do something a little uncomfortable to your flesh, to your self, and uh, that's why we come up. We do it as an exercise to just it's like, you know, it's a bodily exercise, moving closer to God. Not that God's up here any more than he's back there, but there's just something about it in our brain. So we invite you to join us, and again, you're free to pray in your seat. God is there and is going to touch you. It's our heart that matters. But let's turn in our Bible, Psalm 40 and verse 5. O Lord my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. Before we are seated this morning, would you ask God for yourself to touch your heart and your mind as we enter into the time of reading and understanding his word that his spirit will reveal his word to you this morning. Jesus, we pray right now that you would touch our minds, our hearts, and help us as we study your word, as we endeavor to hear what you have to say, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us. Lord, use me as a vessel to speak through, and I pray that you touch every heart, let every heart make room for you this morning, and prepare the way for your word to come and touch our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. God bless you this morning. Your plans are too numerous, too numerous for us. God likes to make plans. Um, and, and my wife does too. And <laughs> so it, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to make a plan. I've learned the art of making a plan uh, since I've been married. When we were on our honeymoon, my wife was trying to be the meek, mild, submissive, uh, newlywed wife, you know, sweet and gentle and, and uh, compliant, and let me plan the honeymoon. Big mistake. Because <laughs> I was used to, like, when you go on vacation, you, you get on the road of the new destination you are, and then you look up the hotel then, right? And I know all of you are like, what? Didn't you ever hear of Expedia? Like, what's your deal? Uh, this is 2011, okay? Maybe Expedia wasn't around back then. I don't know, but... But, uh, okay, it was. Whatever. Whatever, people. Whatever. Uh, so I, I was not much in the way of planning. My, you know, my, my experience was my parents always went to the CAA and got the triptychs, and that's how they, they plan vacation. And, and I had no idea that they called hotels ahead of time. They just... They just did it all for me. I was happy to go on vacation. It was wonderful going on vacation as a young person, as a kid, because it was all planned for you. You just show up. <laughs> your bags, pack your bags, and you get in the car, and away you go. Um, so that's kind of how we... So we had some interesting hotel experiences 
in, uh, in San Francisco and, and Seattle where we went for our honeymoon. And we did have lots of fun, but there was lots of like, okay, stop at a payphone and call the hotel and, oh, they don't have any rooms. Okay, try the next one. And uh, so that, that created a look. Now, I should say our final destination hotel, that one was pre-planned. That was, that was a win. We stayed at the Palace Hotel in San Francisco. That was a lifetime fun. They, they have 100 roses they put in the foyer every morning. So it was, it was, there was lots of cool things about that. But I, 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 at the end of that trip, my wife learned a valuable lesson. Uh, Joel is not a planner. And, and if we want to actually have successful vacations where we're not searching for hotels at 11 o'clock at night after a long day of driving, Maybe, maybe I should get involved a little bit and teach him how to plan a vacation. I'm much better at it today than I was in 2011. But here we are. Uh, God likes to plan things. And I'm thankful he is a planner. He is a planner of all planners. I mean, I, he's the God of all gods and the Lord of all lords, but he's also the planner of all planners. For all my planners in the room... You don't compare to God. He's got it made. He's the one, the original planner. The original planner. The Bible has these statements that are made throughout the scriptures that you can, you can look up this phrase from the foundation of the world and find out God's core plan that he set in motion before he ever laid the foundations of the world. In fact, God has kept a lot of plans a secret. A lot of plans that he has are secret. They're, and by secret, that means that they're, they're hidden. They're covered up. Uh, you ever, you, you know what it's like on Christmas morning when you uncover that Christmas wrapping paper and that which was hidden now becomes revealed. That which was a secret is now made plain and made revealed. God has a lot of those kinds of plans that he's held in motion. Jesus mentioned this in Matthew 13. The Bible says that all things spake Jesus unto the multitudes in parables. And without a parable, he spake not unto them that which may be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open up my mouth in parables. I will utter the things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Notice, God is the one saying this, but it's Jesus who does the speaking. God in the Old Testament, Jehovah of the Old, is saying, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And then Jesus steps on the scene and starts uttering those things in parable. Right. That, 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 that points us to the fact that Jesus is the image of the invisible God of the Old Testament. He's the face of Jehovah. He's the identity of God. He is the manifestation of the Father, the revealed uh, the revealed Son of God and, 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 and God in the flesh. Jesus is God and He's the one who's speaking these things that were before secrets but are now made plain. In fact, Jesus even uh, uh, said to His disciples in Matthew 25, 34, Then shall the King say unto them on this right hand, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There's that phrase again, from the foundation of the world. 
God has designed a kingdom from the foundation of the world of which he is the king. The word kingdom simply means the king's domain. The domain in which the king rules or exercises his authority, his will, his designs, his plans. And the Bible, Jesus was saying that this kingdom of God was, was uh, prepared and planned and founded from the foundation of the world. It's a long-standing plan. It's a long-standing plan. And, and part of the, the fulfillment of this plan would be inaugurated in the most unusual way ever. Most kingdoms come into power through military force. One almost took Russia by surprise here in the last few weeks where one of the military generals rode in on uh, Putin in his uh, capital in Moscow and thankfully no, no blood was spilled but, but he, had to, he defected to Belarus and I, I, Wagner I think was his name. But, and, and this was almost, you know, an, almost a tipping of the power scales in Russia. This is a big deal, right? This is, this is how the world establishes a kingdom, often by force. Often a, a, a country will migrate in and overtake the natives there and establish a domain and a government and, and set up rule. And that's just the, how the world works in most cases. But Jesus' kingdom was not established in such, a, in such a way. It was not established in a way that would make sense to humanity and our way of thinking because Jesus, uh, Jesus was inaugurated as the king in the most unusual ceremony. Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 tells us how God planned to establish his kingdom. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The kingdom that was going to come, that was planned from the foundation of the world, would be set up by the king who would be slain like a lamb. And that too was a plan from the very foundation of the world. It was part of God's plan. Part of God's will. He knew that when he created Adam and Eve in the garden, that they would fall into sin. But thankfully, he did not put all his eggs in one basket. <laughs> Do you know that when the Bible says God reached down and touched the dust of the ground and, and created man in his own image, and after his own likeness, created he him. So the Bible says about Adam in the, the Garden of Eden, how God stooped into the dust and formed Adam out of the dust of the ground and fashioned him out of his own image. And, and then you, you read other scriptures in the Bible, like John 4, 24, that says God is a spirit, right? And a spirit doesn't have form, you know? It doesn't have a, it doesn't have a feature, Although you read often where God's arm is mentioned or his hand and, 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 and you read that with the understanding it's poetic in nature. It's, it's giving you a word picture. It's trying to help you connect your finite brain to an infinite God. Amen. Right? So if God is creating Adam out of the dust of the ground and creating Adam in his own image, what image is he using? God was able to... He, Charles, come help me with this. 
So you're going to be Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Just stand, stand all the way down there. This is what happened. Here God is in the Garden of Eden. And kind of like an artist, you know, looking across the room at his model. He steps down and, oh, I've got to shape that nose a little different. Yep, yep, the head. And the Bible says he made Adam in his own image. Because from the foundation of the world, God knew Jesus would be on the other side of the picture. So Adam was never made in Adam's own image. Adam was made in... So Jesus was the original. That's why later on, Paul would talk in Romans and he'd say, he's the first Adam. The Adam in Genesis was the second. God looked down like an artist looks across the room. God looked across time. That tells you how big and how bad and how amazing God is that God can look down through the pages of time and see an image and make Adam out of the dust of the ground in his own image. And then you see how when when God wanted Adam not to be alone, he created a wife for Adam. And he took, the Bible says he made Adam go to sleep and he took a rib out of the side of Adam and formed Eve. And so it's no strange thing that while Jesus was dying on the cross, the soldier came and pierced him in the side, the Bible says, and blood and water flowed from his side. And from the pierced side of the Savior comes the church. From the blood of Jesus Jesus would tell Nicodemus in John 4, he says, if you're going to be in the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again of the water and of the spirit. There's got to be a a, a new birth experience for you because uh, just like God formed Adam out of the dust by looking down, so God formed the church. by When he made Eve, he took Eve out of Adam's side, just like God took the church out of the side of Jesus. Thank you, Charles. And the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. What am I talking about this morning? I'm talking about God is a planner. And when God plans something, it's perfect. It's impeccable. And I want you to know something. God has plans for you. Psalm 40, verse 5, the text we read this morning says, Your plans are too numerous to list. You have performed many wonders for us. You have so many plans. Jeremiah 29, 10, the Lord is talking to a a nation, his own nation, whom he loved, whom he chose, whom he set apart, the nation of Israel, but they had rejected God time after time. And finally, God just said, I'm going to let you go And the nation of Babylon is going to come, and I'm not going to stop them. They're going to come and take you over, and they're going to destroy you. And and, and if you look at history, you'll see times when Israel was serving God, God would send odd things to fight for his people. In one case, the Bible says God caused an an angry army of hornets to drive away the enemy. I mean, that's pretty cool. When God's fighting for you, he'll use whatever is in his arsenal, and his weapon load, his weapon cache, 
There's no arms race for God. He's got all the arms. He's got all the ammunition. He's got all the things set up when you're walking with him. But when Israel stopped walking with God, he let them off to their own ways and they were trapped by the, the nation of Babylon. But here, even while they're sinning and living in Babylon and far away from God, this is what the Lord says, you will be in Babylon for 70 years, but I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. I will bring you home again, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, the plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God speaks to a nation who is suffering the consequence of their own actions, their own sin, their own rebellion, their own sinfulness and waywardness. And sometimes when we are sitting in the cesspool of the consequences of our own choices, we look back over our life and see, how did I get here? Oh, I got here because I made this decision and I made that decision and it's led me to where I am. I believe God can even look down in the middle of that, just like Israel's in the middle of Babylon. The Bible says they hang their harps on the willow trees because they could not even sing the songs of Zion. They were so depressed about their situation, they stopped even playing music that reminded them of home. They completely accepted and adapted their life to the lifestyle of Babylon because they gave up hope of ever becoming their own nation again. But the Lord says, I have a plan for you. The end of that story is he took them out of Babylon reestablished them as a nation. And that's where the Messiah was born. That's where we get to the New Testament. But I'm here to let you know this morning that God has a plan for your life. There's times when even God will set aside somebody like Jeremiah, where the Bible says, the Lord speaking to Jeremiah, even before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God knows us so intimately and detailed. You're no accident. You weren't a happenstance on the world. You weren't an oops. Maybe your parents didn't plan you. Maybe they weren't expecting you to arrive. But as far as God is concerned, he knew you before he formed you in the womb. You're here for a purpose. Your life is a life for a reason. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God has planned good things for you. He's planned good things for you to do. And by the way, good things doesn't always mean chocolate cake and Oreos. Right? Because vegetables are good too. Good things doesn't always mean it's going to be easy and excellent. If you're going to plant a rose, you've got to do the hard work of digging the hole, putting the fertilizer in, mixing the right proportion of peat moss and soil, creating the well around. There's a lot of hard work. You're going to get scratched by that rose. But at the end of that effort, after careful watering and spraying for fungus and pests and caring, that rose will produce a, a, a fragrance that is compared to none and a beauty in your garden that is compared to none. And even with all that beauty, there's still going to be thorns on the rose bush. 
Because good doesn't always mean fun, exciting, sweet. Sometimes good has a little bit of bitter in it. Sometimes good, the goodness of God, is seen more clearly in the dark. The light of God is often seen when the night is darkest. Because God is a good God. He is not overwhelmed by darkness. His sweetness is not overcome by the bitter. But he can take something that's bitter and make it into something that's wonderful. He planned for us good things long ago. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good. Everything works together for good. If you eat a bowl of salt, that's going to be not very good. But you work that salt in with something else, and it makes it better. If you, if you work that, that, that bitter flavor in with the sweet flavor, if you work that salty flavor in with some other flavor, it enhances it and makes it better because they're working together for the good for of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. This scripture is often quoted but sometimes misunderstood. God causes everything to work together for not my good, but for the good of those who love God. And, and my good isn't necessarily the good for those who love God. Sometimes my, my, what I have to go through is difficult, is hard, is traumatic even. But God is a God who can redeem even the darkest and most traumatic of experiences. I, I, I don't want to, to make light of your pain, of your past, of the trauma perhaps that you've experienced in this life. God knows the kind of pain you've experienced, the trauma, and, the, and I don't make light of that, and I don't, I don't discredit that, but I want you to know here this morning, God can take that trauma, God can take that suffering, God can take that loss, and mix it together with himself, and cause something good to come out of that circumstance and situation. And who, who's this scripture for? It's those who love God. And who are called according to his purpose. I wouldn't say this verse is for everybody. Because not everybody loves God. And I would go even further to say that not everybody is called of God. God, God does, I believe God does make wide and broad callings. And none of us could ever know who God has called and who God has not called. So it's not up for us to determine that. But I'm here to let you know that, that this scripture isn't blanket for everybody. It's for those who love him and who are called by him and those who walk according to his purpose. The Bible says God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the first among many brothers and sisters. God has a plan. And if you are here this morning, then you have the opportunity to be part of God's plan. If you're breathing this morning, God has, has a, a job for you to do. He has a purpose for you to fulfill. And he has a plan that he's written for your life. And he wants to give it to you. Luke chapter 12. Jesus told his disciples, don't Seek what you should eat, what you should drink. Don't be doubtful or fearful. All these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But rather, seek 
the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus turns his disciples' world upside down. Don't pursue your next meal. Don't pursue your next shopping trip. Don't pursue your next job. Don't pursue your next career. Don't, don't make your, your primary focus. Now, that's not saying, God's not saying you sit at home and don't work and, and, and expect the government to cover your bills. That's not what he's saying, okay? That's not what he's saying. But he says, don't make that your primary focus. How do I know it's not the primary? Because he says, rather seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. God will add to you if you first take care of God's kingdom. And then he says, fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Amen. Think about that for a minute. God takes pleasure in giving you the things that belong to his kingdom. God takes pleasure in giving you the opportunity to become part of other people hearing the good news about Jesus and receiving that message into their life. God takes pleasure in blessing you with something that's going to advance his kingdom. He takes pleasure in involving you in his work. Why? Because you become his masterpiece and his art show and his trophy. Because you and me are not perfect individuals. We are corrupt to the core. And if we could admit that, we'll go a lot farther in life. We're corrupt to the core. And if left to our own devices, we would quickly divulge into all kinds of unspeakable sin and walk away from God. Even if we were religious, we can be religious and still very corrupt in our hearts. Religion does not sanctify you. Religion does not make you clean before God. Right acts and good deeds does not bring you closer to God because if left to the time clock and the centuries that would divulge and diverge into all kinds of things you can just look into the world today and see examples of how that's that's being lived out today without the hand of God guiding and directing and humbling you and bringing you to a place of repentance and bringing you to a place of submission to him all of left to our own devices we would just spread wide out and go one way or the other but God takes good pleasure in bringing some of us who come from rather broken situations broken homes dysfunctional lives dysfunctional childhoods poverty or or difficult circumstances God takes pleasure in taking those of us who were liars who were thieves who were adulterers who were homosexual in our our, our our desires Paul made this list in Corinthians he said you were this you were that you were tossed in this sin and that sin and such were some of us but we are washed we are are sanctified we are justified God takes what the world deems is unclean and unholy and turns it around into something beautiful that's why he takes good pleasure in giving you the kingdom that's why he takes good pleasure in allowing you to be part of what he's doing when you volunteer at a team at, at the church we talked about this last week some plant and some water 
Some are out there planting the seed. They're, they're sharing the word of God. They're sharing their testimony. And hopefully every one of us gets to that place where we fulfill that call of God in our life to be preachers of the word. Because everybody that's born again of the water and of the spirit is called to be a preacher of God's word. In some way, shape, or form, you're called whether to testify on a street corner, testify to your friend over coffee, testify to someone in your school, testify to someone in your family, either by your words, your testimony, your knowledge of the word of God, or your lived experience. Somewhere along the line, you're going to be a preacher, and you're going to plant the word of God into somebody's heart. Paul says, some plant, and then some water. And there's a lot of ministries in the church that are watering ministries. When you greet uh, as part of the greeting team, the hospitality team, what are you doing? You're making the people's experience when they walk into the building. You're watering that seed. You may have come in and noticed some flowers in, a, in some cups at the back. That's one of our newly new, new gardening members decided they wanted to go out this morning and cut some flowers and put them on the table to make it look pretty. That was my son, Zachary. He's on the gardening team, and he, he was here on, we were setting up the tables this week, and he says, oh, what, let's put some flowers on the table, because he knows, he knows how much daddy loves gardening, so he's loving it too. So he wanted to put flowers, what does that do? That You walk in and you smile and say, oh, those are pretty, that's nice, that put a smile on some people's face this morning. What did that do? That just put a little water on the seed of the word of God. What, what does it do when someone shakes your hand and says, welcome to church this morning? That puts a little seed softening the hard ground. Maybe someone had a hard week, but they walk into the church and they see your smiling face as a greeter as they walk through the doors. That's, that's putting a little water on the ground to soften it up, getting it ready for when the preaching of the word goes forth, the seed will find hopefully some wet, moist soil of their heart that they can receive and grow. When, when, when you're part of the cleaning team, and nobody sees you, but you come here on a Saturday or on a Friday on your month to clean, and you, you clean the bathrooms. Nobody knows when the bathrooms are clean, but they know when they're not clean. And I've had people walk in here and say, well, your bathrooms are so clean. They're so wonderful. It's so nice because it's nice to go to a public place and have a clean bathroom. What is that, Pastor? That 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 come on. That how why do I need to make time in my busy life for a, a ministry like this? Because some plant and some water. And you may not be at the place where you're ready to plant or you're planting in mass, but you can help to water a seed. I told the story last Sunday. My daughter Renee likes to help it when daddy plants his garden. But Daddy doesn't always like it when Renee helps because Renee's a little rough with the plants and those tender little seedlings that are coming out of their cell packs. She would like to wave them around and kind of walk around the garden and sing and, and just wave them around. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm like the, this, the hair on the back of my neck is standing up straight and there's goosebumps all over me and I'm just like, she's going to destroy my garden. Stop. So when she gets to that very helpful stage, instead of... Go inside and play with your dolls. Here's a watering can, honey. Go around. All the plants are thirsty. So we are getting ready to come to church this morning. And she says, Daddy, I talked to the flower over here, and he told me he was thirsty. <laughs> says, okay, you and Dan are going to have to water the flowers this week. Renee, will you do that? Yes, Daddy, we'll, we'll, we'll water the flowers. They told me they were thirsty. What's going on there? She's not at the stage to plant yet, but she's at the stage where she can water. You may not feel super comfortable about telling others about Jesus yet. 
You may not be able to expound on Scripture in a lot of different ways. You may not be able to open up the Word and, and share it like maybe you'd like to, but you can start by helping to water the plants that are being planted. You can There's there's about 13 different ministries that we're, we're campaigning for sign-ups this, this Sunday and next Sunday. And, and, and it's not going to take over your life. We're going to be respectful of your boundaries and of your schedules. We all have busy lives. Pastor even has busy lives. So we all have things to do. But if you can be part of something, even if it's the prayer team, the prayer team is probably the easiest team to be part of because you don't have to go to meetings. All you have to do is when there's a need, it'll get texted to your phone, and you take a few minutes to pray for it. That's very simple. It's the easiest team to be a part of, that team. And it's the biggest sheet of paper because... I think everyone should be on the prayer team. That's just me, but <laughs> praise God. This is, you get to be part of God's plan for this city. God has people he wants to reach in this city. God has people he wants to touch in this city. And you can be part of that plan. Who knows, but like Esther, God has pointed you and put you where you are for such a time as this. Amen. You may look at your job and go, why am I even here? How come I keep coming back to this place every single day? This place, yes, it gives me a paycheck, but the stress that I'm under when I'm in this building. Who knows? But if you start looking at it from a kingdom perspective and say, God has put me here for a reason. Somebody in this place, I was not here put here by accident, but God See, when you start looking at that's why Jesus, seek ye first the kingdom. Not seek ye first your paycheck. Not seek ye first your next meal. Not seek ye first your next clothing, shopping trip. But you seek first, God, I'm in this uncomfortable job. I'm in a job that doesn't pay enough. I'm in a job that I love. Maybe that's your circumstance. But you look at it and say, God, what am I here for? What is the kingdom purpose that I'm here? Because at the end of the day, the paycheck's going to be spent the clothes are going to get holes in them. The food is going to get consumed. At the end of the day, the pleasurable vacation is going to have an end date. You know, even when you book your trip to Disney World, there's the starting point. But you also, at the same time, have to book your flight home. Because at some point, that fun time, that fun thing, that thing you love to do is going to come to an end. And at the end of your life, are you going to look back and enjoy how many times you went to Disney World and how many fancy meals you ate and how how many nice clothes you had? Or are you going to look back and say, who did I impact? What legacy am I leaving behind? What seeds did I plant back in 2023 that are now a full-fledged tree and garden today? Are you going to look back and see, I watered that one and it's now planting other seeds? I was part, can you imagine being Ananias, looking at the life of Paul? Ananias was the man, the only thing the Bible records that Ananias ever did was go to a man named Saul and say, Saul, the Lord has a plan for your life. And that Saul became Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament scripture and established most of the churches in Asia Minor and became one of the greatest apostles known to the church age. All because a man by the name of Ananias obeyed God and got into God's plan. Who are you going to look back on and say, I watered that apostle? I planted that prophet. I planted that, that missionary. I planted the seed in their life and God worked through me. 
It's not because of me, but God used me. It's his good pleasure to give me the kingdom. I'm looking back and I'm seeing that, that money I sowed into that, that give back project. It, it helped a mother get off the streets, get out of an abusive situation. A few Christmases ago, we gave with other churches. We partnered together and raised somewhere between three and $5,000 in gifts and, and, and things that we gave to the women's shelter. And they were a floor. Three churches, us and two other churches, joined forces. And we did this give back project. What, that was just one Christmas. But maybe, maybe it was the pillow that helped a mother get out of an abusive situation, a mother and a child in Ajax, and, and find a place of refuge to start a new life. Some plant, some water, and it's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom and for you to be part of it. If we only rely on our plans, and I'm going to close with this if we would all stand. If we only ever rely on our plans, we run the risk of losing out on so many of the good things that God has in store for us. We, we run the risk of missing some of the, the wonderful experiences God wants to give to his church. God spoke to his church in Isaiah chapter 30. What sorrow awaits my rebellious children, says the Lord. You make plans that are contrary to mine. You make alliances not directed by my spirit, thus piling up your sins. For without consulting me, you've gone down to Egypt for help. You've put your trust in Pharaoh's protection and you've tried to hide in his shade. There's times where we, could, we can try to make our own plans, but God says, it's, it's not going to work out the way you want it to. When you only rely on your own ideas and your own thoughts and your own ways and your own plans. But the Bible also tells us that if we will, if we will give our plans to the Lord, He will give us the desires of our heart. If we'll commit our ways to Him, our plans, the Bible says, will succeed. Proverbs 16 Three, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Is there someone that's ready to commit their action to the Lord this morning? In these next few moments, I wonder if you take some time to reflect on that and pray. Talk to God. Find a place of prayer either in your seat or at the front here. But let's, let's talk to God about his plan for our lives. Let's talk to God about what he wants us to do will be what you call me